running into first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? Uh, yes, we've only heard that two times in 2021. As it stands right Man. now, welcome to the breakdown, everybody. It is Derek Taylor alongside myself, Marshall Ferguson, as we welcome you into the CFL playoff edition of all things breakdown here on Canadian Football Perspective. As always, we want to say thank you to our good friends and our partners and our sponsors, uh, really just uh, our love children um, at Fox 40. We appreciate them very much. Are you geared up for game day? Head over to fox40shop.com for Fox 40 gear, whistles, and coaching boards, and use the promo code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order. And... We would like to say a big thank you to Sawdust City for uh, helping us out throughout the entirety of the year. Go to their website, sawdustcitybeer.com, shop a wide variety of brews and learn more. And of course, get the promo code CFL to get free shipping on your order over $100. And big drum roll on this one, DT. And I haven't even told you this yet because I don't even know if you can come, but I just got uh, until right now. We have a great cup event. Uh, we are doing a oh great my gosh, event, what? Which, which is going to be great. Yeah, CFP is going to partner up. I'm hoping... I'm going to put them on Front Street here and pressure them into joining us and hanging out with us and having a good time um, with Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily uh, with Hustler and, nice. uh, and, and the boys over there. We're planning to all uh, get together. Now, we originally said, well, you know, we want to do it at a bar in downtown Hamilton or we want to do it at a, at a brew house or a pub or something. And Sam Corbet, the brewmaster at Sawdust City, said, well, I've got a couple of friends at Merritt Brewing. I'm like, perfect, because Merritt Brewing is right in the heart of downtown Hamilton. So it should be near any of the events that are happening. And I, they said, well, Friday, we have a pretty consistent crowd. Saturday, same thing. And I was thinking they were going to say, hey, can we push you guys to Thursday? And I'm like, I don't know if people are going to be in town yet. The fans for the Great Cup on Sunday night on a Thursday, like the hardcores come in early. But I didn't know if we could really do it. And so I was like, mm, I don't know how this is going to go. And when I had the sit down meeting yesterday with uh, a couple of the guys over at Merritt Brewing, they said, how do you feel about the morning of Great Cup Sunday? I was like, <laughs> I'm like that sounds awesome. So, anyways, this is uh, this is your official announcement that we are going to be Sawdust City and uh, Merritt Brewing downtown Hamilton Grey Cup. We're probably going to do it from like one to three, um, and we're going to go over there and we're going to have some giveaways. We're going to be doing trivia, Grey Cup trivia on the social media channels, uh, and we're going to be giving out CFP hoodies and uh, giving away some beer prize packs and all sorts of fun stuff. So. Just an excuse to be able to come hang out, talk some football, and have some fun before maybe you head down to the stadium if you're going, or if you're not, they're going to have the game shown there at Merritt Brewing on a projector screen as well, so you can hang out and watch the game um, from the brew house. And uh, this is basically me counter-programming the $75 ticket uh, that is going on for the pregame tailgate at the Hamilton Convention Center. Who the hell has $75 to spend on the tailgate? Huh? Well, if you've spent nothing during the pandemic, the 20 months of hell that we've been through, then I guess, yeah, it, but yeah, wow, that is, so there better be a no lot cover. of roast beef there. Ooh, no, we we have no cover. We're, we're not, we're not charging a single penny for you. We want you to come and spend your money on beer and on, uh, and raffle tickets or anything else that we do at this event. So we're ironing out the details, but we have confirmed we're going to do one to 3 PM on great cup Sunday at Merritt brewing downtown Hamilton. So we're looking forward to having people for that. And of course, 
Uh, Sawdust uh, City and Merritt Brewing are actually on the day that we're recording this here on Friday, November 26th. They are uh, releasing a collaboration that they have, their Half Shell Lager, which is going to be featured there. So they've actually been working together on a couple of beers and they're going to push those out uh, when we have our event there. So that is all great stuff. Uh, for today, we are actually splitting these into two podcasts uh, because we want to give each of them their own love with the two playoff games coming up this week. This one is on the East. This is on the East Eastern semifinal between the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Montreal Alouettes. Big picture DT. We find out what the matchup's going to be. We find out where it is. What was one of your first thoughts that you had when you looked at the matchup? And, and just before you really started digging in and going, okay, how is this game going to play out? What did you think? Uh, I thought I thought Montreal better be at full uh, full strength for this game because to me, at preseason, I thought, man, Hamilton is the best roster when all these guys are eventually healthy. Uh, you know, week 16 into the playoffs, they're going to be a real, real problem for teams. And they still haven't gotten healthy, right, from what we thought they would be preseason. Devere Posey never played for them. Addison in, out, maybe in again this week, slight chance, but more likely in future weeks if they continue. Uh, and then Montreal comes into this week, potentially without Gino Lewis, who did his groin in practice on Wednesday that's going to be a real problem for them because Hamilton on defense is fantastic from their coverage to their linebackers that tackle everything in sight to their front, which while it's not as good as it was in 19 can absolutely destroy teams. Uh, Montreal has got to be ready for what could be a really good Hamilton team. Yeah. And I, I also look at this and think like, it's crazy that you say, yeah, the front's not as good as it would have been. The linebacker core isn't as good as I think we agree it would have been in 2020 if Larry Dean would have been around and been healthy. And it's like, Hamilton is not what we thought they were going to be, but at the end of the day, who cares? Cause they're still here, you know, like they're, they're yeah. in the playoffs, they're playing a home playoff game and they've got an opportunity to play in a home great cup, which is all they really wanted to ask for. So um, it's interesting when you talk about the Montreal being ready and what Hamilton's throwing at them. When the all-stars came out for the East division, half the field was tie cats. Like it, it went yeah. from Tunde Adelike to Kerry Brooks to Jamal Roll to Simone Lawrence to Dylan Wynn to Jagera Davis. It's like half of the graphic that the CFL sent out was black and gold. And I'm like, man, because I mean, Money Hunter and David Menard were the only Montreal Alouettes that end up getting on uh, the East All-Star team. And I mean, you could have made perhaps an argument for Patrick Levels, maybe close to or at Chris Edwards, but Chris Edwards. Chris Aki, yeah, maybe. He, he yeah. deserves that. Yeah, Chris Aki could have been in certainly, but you would have then had to bump Simone Lawrence, which you're not going to do in that in that East division. So it was tough sledding for Montreal to get any recognition and Hamilton got a lot of those all-stars. Um, the, the way that I thought of this game originally, just from a very high view was I, I sometimes I hate the narrative around the teams that are hosting the great cup because it's, well, yeah. they're, they're hosting the great cup. So there's pressure around them to get to the great cup. And you'll experience this next year, obviously when it's out there in Regina, it's like, okay, well, if the great cup wasn't in, in Saskatchewan next year, or if it wasn't in Hamilton this year, we would just be saying, well, the pressure's on them to get to the Great Cup regardless. Like, we just make up the story, well, it's it's in town, so they feel the extra pressure. They always feel pressure. Like, it's always hard to get to the Great Cup, and it's always this huge oh. mountain you have to climb. So, um, Who wants to go to an Ottawa Great Cup, Marsh? Come on. Yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> ridiculous, right? No, well, you know what? This year, we don't. We only 95% want to go, not 100%. Come on. Everybody yeah. wants to win the trophy all the time. Yeah, exactly. And so that's I'm kind of annoyed of that piece of analysis. And my analysis at yeah. this week has been a little all over the place as well on CFL.ca, where I'm trying to figure out what this is going to look like. But um, I would just wanted to start out by asking you, what's the one thing you know? Like, what's the one thing that you feel 100% confident going into this Eastern semifinal that you say, the game might 
go up and back and forth and there might be lots of different variables, but I know at the end of the day that yeah. this is going to be correct. Uh, I know that Hamilton's commitment to its run game is going to be inconsistent and undetermined. Well, the running back run game, uh, because I mean, if, if Braylon Addison was in there, there's Braylon Addison carries last week, there was Tim white and Pappy white carries in that meaningless game for them as it turned out against the riders. But, man, they just cycle through any one of four running backs. <laughs> when Don Jackson is in there, they'll focus on Don a little bit, but you, you just absolutely, absolutely have no idea how much they're going to be committed to the running back running game. And it's the exact opposite for Montreal, right? Like, they, they live and die with William Stanback, as you think you, you – I mean, as you should if you believe that running backs are the, are the way to go right. for it. So, yeah, the one thing I know is – Man, <laughs> Hamilton is one of those teams that just doesn't care about running through the running back. No, and it's funny too because in terms of like a like a heat scale for how much they believe in certain running backs or how much they put emphasis in, okay, this guy's in the game, we really got to get him touches. You're right, Don Jackson is the one that they lean towards the most where it's like, we really respect him, we really want to get him the ball. But he's like a heat scale if it's zero to five, he's like a three, everybody else is a one. Yeah. It's like they don't, there's no five like William Stanback where it's like, we have to get on the rock. It's like, Don goes in. Yeah, we'll get to him a couple of times. And then they're like, oh, but we're in the score zone now. Okay, here comes Sean Thomas Arlington. It's like, I don't know how as a fantasy player you're supposed to look at the Tiger Cats because they're as likely to have Steven Dunbar get an end-around touchdown on the goal line as they are to have Don Jackson run it downhill between the tackles. Yeah, it's it's crazy, right? And it, it kind of counters everything that we think of. And it'll, if Hamilton loses out, it'll foster the irritable. you got to be able to run the ball in November, blah, blah, blah. Right. But uh, Hamilton just is not bothered by the fact that they don't have one lead back. They don't have a Kadeem Carey, a William Standback, a William Powell uh, in that vein. And honestly, I, I don't know that I think it hurts them at all because uh, Tommy Condell and that offense are just maybe more so than anybody, any other team this season, and maybe in 19 on a level with uh, Paul Lapolis when he was in Winnipeg. They're, how are we going to attack you? What are we going to do? How are we going to make this happen? What new guy are we going to give you this time around just because we can and we feel like we can? And if Masoli's, if Masoli's on fire and he's been pretty good, except for that Toronto game in this last little stretch since he's been back from injury, Hamilton is, can really... They just, I mean, last week they just walked the ball up and down the field. I had to watch them just march from one end to the other, to the other, to the other against the undermanned Riders team. It, I just got a sense of, God, they're really good. They're uh, really good when they want to be. I was driving back to Hamilton from Kingston when I worked the Yates Cup last Saturday, and I listened to you on CKRM. I tuned in just as Masoli right before halftime, decided to underhand spiral a pass 15 yards. Uh, and I just love, I loved your reaction to it. I was just like, man, it, like week 16 game doesn't matter for either team. They're just eyes locked in on what's happening in the playoffs. And I was like, DT still just energetic as all hell in the booth, which I, I loved listening to that on the way back. So I caught you just about Oshawa. Like when I, I was like, oh, I wonder how the yeah. game's going. And I tuned in and I was like, okay, yeah, this is going exactly how I thought this was going to go. Beat down um, Boulevard, yeah, yeah, that one. But The uh, one thing that yikes. I know uh, in this game is that the Montreal Alouettes as I've been studying it more throughout the week, I've started to kind of pick up a sense that Kahari Jones is really trusting Trevor Harris, like increasingly mm. so as the weeks have gone on. And what I mean by that is that there's been a bit of the meshing of the minds between the the quarterback and the coach over time uh, to where you're now seeing a player 
in Trevor Harris that seems more comfortable. He's throwing it more vertically than he did in Edmonton in terms of average depth of target. Um, his production grade on pass plays is actually higher in Montreal than it was in Edmonton, despite the change in receivers and trying to get acquainted with everybody. His accuracy grade by my metrics is a little bit higher as well. So he's, he's on target. His, his rhythm's better. His footwork is a little bit smoother, I think, because he feels comfortable. And these are all little things that I pick up on. And then I looked at second and seven plus today, and I wanted to know, okay, what, what's the evolution of the Alouettes offense from Vernon Adams Jr. to Trevor Harris? And what I found mm. was that they were throwing the ball 90% of the time with Vernon Adams Jr. on seven and second, uh, second and seven plus, I should say. With Trevor Harris, it's 100% of the time. There have been 43 yeah. second and sevens, and they are throwing it 43 times out of those. So if you see second and seven plus in the Eastern semifinal and they run a draw play, that's the first time they've done that with Trevor Harris since he's been in Montreal. But the reason that I thought that was interesting is okay, why are they entrusting him so much? Like, why are they just saying, here, figure it out, we're going to give you the ball? That's very similar to Zach Kolaros in 2019, where it's like, first down, Zach, we're going to play Bombers football. Second down, this is why you're here. Like, this is why we went and got you, because we believe that you know how to maneuver in the CFL on second and long. And the sack percentage is cut in half from when Vernon Adams Jr. was in there. It gets from 10% down to 4.6. The conversion rate is essentially the same, 35.5% for VA, 34.8% for Trevor Harris. And then in terms of touchdowns based on number of attempts and number of called passing plays on second and seven, Trevor is throwing a touchdown on 9.3% of his second and seven pluses, whereas Vernon was throwing it on 3.3. Now, again, he's had less reps. It's a smaller number to be able to get a sense for what his real true ability is in this offense. But when I read into those things of high touchdown percentage on those plays with that down and distance, um, high pass play call percentage, it's like, no, Kahari trusts him. Like he's really trusting in him, and especially in that yeah. that quarterback specific down and distance. He's saying, "Go get it. This is why we brought you here." So I feel like they are. I'm not saying they're going to live and die by Trevor Harris's arm. What I'm saying is, on on when you got to have it, they're going to put the ball in Trevor's hand. I don't think you're going to see a second and nine in the fourth quarter of this game with them trailing by ten, seven, three, whatever it might be. If they're trailing, and they're going to go, well, let's let's see if we can get Stanback on Stanback on an outside zone. It's like, no, they're going to give it to Trevor really consistently, which is not groundbreaking because all CFL teams do that, but I think they're going to do it above an average rate. Which, I mean, I'm trying to think of why necessarily it would be they uh, they do it more with, with Harris. And, and 90% to 100% isn't uh, is enormous because I assume there'd be some some scrambles that, uh, that Vernon chose to do in there. But, like, Harris can't move the ball with his feet the same way, but then why... Right. Yeah, to me, it, comes down to, it comes down to trust. Like that's that's my whole point in this is that I think Yeah, because, I trust Harris a lot more. Yeah, because Vernon season. Adams Jr., if you call a ton of passing plays on second and long, he's gonna give you some nice plays and he's got the same conversion rate essentially as Trevor Harris, but he's also mm-hmm. gonna throw more of those dangerous balls, those interceptable passes that you you translate throughout the year, and he's also gonna create more turnovers because he's getting sacked more. And when you get sacked if you're a quarterback yeah. and you're not ready, you can fumble. So I think that's why they feel more comfortable is like Listen, Trevor has his drawbacks at various points. He is not a perfect player. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the things that he's good at are so different than Vernon Adams Jr. that I get the sense that Kahari Jones is refreshed as a play caller where he doesn't have to call a play on second and seven and go, oh, God, what is he going to do with this? It might be great or it might be a turnover. I think he's looking (laughs) at it with Trevor and saying, I'll give him pretty much any call. He'll do the right thing. It might not be the sexiest thing. It might not be as explosive. 
but he'll do the right thing. And so I feel safe giving him these plays in these situations. Like that's what I'm reading into some of these numbers. Yeah, that uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Wow, Harris really gets uh, he really gets sacked in Montreal. Hey, my goodness, I'm just <laughs> looking at double digit sack rate in uh, in Montreal. It's it was always going to be really interesting to see what they would do, right? Because you couldn't have two more oh, among good quarterbacks, uh, good quarterbacks and above. You really couldn't have two dr- more dramatically different quarterbacks than Vernon Adams and Trevor Harris. So it was always an interesting move, but yeah, you can just, you just see when you watch Montreal go, Harris is just, he's always the same guy, right? He's never too, never too high, never too low in the pocket. And he's just, you know what? I'm here. I'm not throwing for an incredible amount of yards so far, uh, but yeah, I I certainly hope they can pick that up because at some point you're going to be in my mind, you're going to be down in this game and it's not going to be able to, be William Standback time in the fourth quarter if you're down 10 points. So uh, this is going to, this is what they went and got Trevor Harris for, right? To be able to compete in the fourth quarter of this game. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what it's felt like for me. The other interesting point in this game that I, I don't think people really know or typically care all that much about, but is the fullback usage. And the reason I bring this up is that Hamilton leads the league in terms of personnel packages that involve a fullback. Obviously, Nikola Kalinic is the guy that they have in the, uh, the most amongst anybody. It's not like Jake Bird's taking a yeah. single snap this year. So um, so they've got themselves, Kalinic coming in and playing a big role. They have more fullback snaps, as I say, than any team in the league. But right there next to Saskatchewan, in terms of teams that use the fullback in personnel packages, is Montreal. And that percentage mm. of them using fullbacks in the in the personnel packages for the Alouettes has really picked up since Trevor has been there over the last four games. And I think part of that is that maybe that's huh. what he that's what he's comfortable with. Maybe that's what he knows a little bit from his past, because it's certainly in Ottawa he didn't play with the fullback a whole lot. But when he was in Edmonton, I mean they they dabbled with it. They had a relatively deep roster of fullbacks, but it wasn't like they were getting a lot of targets in that stuff. But you think about we've made fun various points this season at James Tuck the fullback for Edmonton getting the pass attempt to him on the last play of the game week one in their loss to Ottawa. Um, he's had a couple of targets here and there. And now Spencer Moore is a more athletic, bigger body version of James Tuck. And so they've, they've been using him a lot more in their lineup. And it's to the point where you almost expect to see four receivers, one running back and one fullback in the game, um, whether it be Christoph Normand or Spencer Moore. And they're finding different ways to run the football later in the season with stand back in, but they're also throwing from these fullback formations as well at a higher rate than a lot of other teams are. So Hamilton and Montreal being two of the top three teams in fullback usage, uh, I think is, is of, of note because that is not going to determine the game, but it's certainly going to be something worth watching and noticing during is okay. When they're in these fullback formations, when they're not in five receivers, one running back, what are they trying to accomplish? Is this a run heavy formation for the Alouettes where they're going to come in and try to bludgeon you to death with a fullback or Mm. Are they going to use this as some eye candy and actually just take shots to Jake Winicky and if he's healthy, Gino Lewis? Montreal, I think Montreal on the defensive side, when I when I think about it, I haven't thought about it too much, but they, they're a sack machine, right? They generate pressure more than, than any other. I mean, I think second most versus any other team. Let me pull it up to make sure I have it. Yeah, Winnipeg the most, Montreal right behind them. Uh, man, I, Money Hunter is just killing people. Chris Aki, we've already talked about. Nick Usher, though I don't think people think he's been unbelievable, has generated the sixth-most quarterback pressure in the league. David Menard is up for most outstanding Canadian. He's a rotation player. Jamal Davis is like a 
uh, someone described it to me as like a Willie Jefferson-ish in that Willie line. Like, here's Willie, here's Boom Guacham and Jamal Davis. You go, man, Hamilton's got going to have to figure some stuff out here. They're going to have to get their own Kalinich or was Grand Gauthier in there to, to help keep uh, Jeremiah clean in this one because Masoli can do stuff under pressure, but that's where he also can make some mistakes that he hasn't been making these last six weeks or so. Uh, I, I wonder if this... Uh, if this is a low-scoring game, Montreal wins, in, yeah. in my mind, just for, for all these reasons that we're talking about. They can generate enough offense, and their defense is really like This, man, I'm just going to go to my sports book and, and start hitting the under on this one as I think <laughs> about it more and more, Marsh, because this could be a – I mean, Hamilton's offense was flying last week and flying in all these games except the Toronto one, but uh, Montreal can really get after quarterbacks. I have a feeling like I got to shoot a video for CFL.ca today that's keys to the game. And the more that we talk about it and think about it, doesn't it feel like Montreal just wants to make this an ugly, ugly game? Like, Absolutely. Like yeah. They, they, they want to get after you with that defensive front that you just mentioned. And they want to be talking a whole lot of smack on the back end. And they want to frustrate the receivers. And they want to try to get in Masoli's head. And if, the, if Masoli throws him one early, the momentum and the ego of that Montreal defense is just going to take flight. And then at that point, it's like, okay, they, it's not even necessarily a momentum thing. It's a style of game and it's a feel of the game that I get a sense that Hamilton wants to go out and act like it's the 2018 East semifinal where they're playing against the BC Lions and they're throwing it up and down the field and they're controlling the tempo and uh, Travis Lule can't be protected because they got a first year undrafted center in there and Andrew Pearson who's just getting dominated by Ted Laurent. Like that game felt like Hamilton had controlled the entire time. And I'm getting the sense that Hamilton has has goals of being able to say Tim White over here and then Dunbar on a dig route and then Speedy down the sideline. Oh, look, Addison's in the game. We popped him a handoff or, you know, we got Don Jackson out on a screen and we burst that one. And like, that's what they want to do. But if Montreal's defense can play a key role in slowing them down and frustrating them and the offense controls the time of possession with standback and Harris is being really efficient in the passing attack on throws under 15 yards down the field, that's what Montreal wants to do. Like they, I think they want to make it slow and grimy and painful and make Hamilton earn it. And that's the danger, I think, for the Ticats in this one. Well, and, and even more so in my mind, if Gino Lewis can't play, right? Like that's their that's their best receiver. Jake Winnicky has the most touchdowns, but Gino's Gino's so fantastic. Yeah. And you know, I'll I'll love to Dante Absher, who else who else they'll throw in at boundary wide receiver. But Geno Lewis is really the straw in that team. In that team, so yeah, I, I I'm with you, and that's got to be the way. And then I mean, you still have the the presence of Jake Winicky. You hit him on a corner route for 45 yards, right? Like that still still will exist, even if you're you are doing all these other things. They still they started off with one of the deepest receiving cores in the Canadian Football League uh, going into 2021, and it hasn't been a, a banner season for BJ Cunningham. And again, the groin injury for Geno. But there's I mean. There's still weapons that they can play with in uh, in Winnicky, who had what eleven touchdowns in a fourteen game season. Yeah, and also Come like, on. When that's you, crazy. You factor in DT that you've got nine touchdowns for Gino Lewis. That's twenty touchdowns between two players in a fourteen game season. Bonkers. Like, they're they're averaging like one point three, one point four touchdowns per game between the two of them over a fourteen game season. My concern, I think, for and. This is why I almost wonder if Gino's not 100% if they still play him, is that if, if Gino Lewis is on the field into the boundary, I think you are more hesitant to send pressure and leave everybody in man coverage because he can make a grab and run away from you. 
But really right. what I, I think this speaks to is all of a sudden the free safety doesn't have to roll over the top if you don't feel like he's a real threat. And Absher's got some wheels. I mean, he's a return guy. He can speed down the sideline. But I just I feel like if if Geno's not in the game, you shade less of your coverage that direction. That gives Tunde Adelike, the East All-Star at free safety, the ability to stand in the middle of the field and feel like he can roam and he can make decisions and he can take chances. And all of a sudden he starts driving on Quan Bray dig routes or on Jake Winicky corner routes. He's running the route for him or I, th- I just feel like it has this kind of like, you know, string tied around a bunch of different bobby pins that are put into the wall where it's like, well, you take out one of those pins and all of a sudden you pull the string and it's a lot easier to, to get it to go around. And uh, I just, I wonder whether or not it'll have that impact. And it also, like, Tunde Adelike is not the biggest body. He's not going to be super involved in the running game. But if they mm-hmm. need an extra body at the point of attack and Gino Lewis isn't in the game and they're trying to run it and control it, make it grimy and slow down the game like we're talking about with, with William Stanback, what's to say Hamilton doesn't come in with a defensive sub package that's like a four-linebacker look? Like where they start playing like a, yeah. a, a hybrid free safety linebacker that's at that kind of lingering in that rover position that can come downhill because they just don't respect anybody who's on the outside. Now, I don't think they'll start the game that way, but that's something I'm going to have my eye on pretty closely in this game, which, by the way, I was offered a seat in the press box uh, and I said no because I hate press boxes. Uh, and so I, I mean, they're just just a bunch of people. Well, in Hamilton is nice though. It, the one in Hamilton is nice. I agree, but it's not the it's not the aesthetics that I'm talking about. It's the, it's the vibe. It's just like people there yeah, do yeah. a job to work. I'm like I learn the most when I'm watching a game from the stands. Like that's just how I've mm. always been. So I'm doing the game for CFL.ca for analysis. I'm not calling the game, and I got asked, "Do you want to be in the press box?" I'm like. I'll be in the stands. Call me if you need me. Uh, I'm just going to be taking notes somewhere randomly in the upper deck of Tim Hortons Field on Sunday afternoon, which will be great. But that's yeah. I bring that up because I want to watch from up high and see where is Tunde going? Where is he shading? What does he care about? And how much is he plussing into the run game if Gino for some reason is not in or he's not 100%? Yeah, I'm just going through uh, Hamilton's death chart, and hopefully I won't sneeze here, but there is potential for it to happen. Uh, we've seen teams like uh, BC and Winnipeg this season, just in my watching, uh, on, on rundowns, they throw in a, uh, a big linebacker instead of the Sam linebacker, right? Winnipeg would swap out Alden Darby and plop in Shane Goche. And I, I'm trying to find the body for Hamilton that would allow them to do that. Like Lawrence Knox and Cameron Kelly normally, Kelly's the guy who goes 62205 which that's not bad um but they don't really Nick Cross is a smaller guy yeah, Tyrese right. Bavaret um 6 foot 203 is, is it can, can, Curtis, Curtis Newton? Newton yeah is maybe. would Curtis Newton be the guy that you you put in in that scenario because yeah that's i mean that's something as much as this is a almost 70% passing league uh if you can manipulate your Sam i, I mean if you can stem the potential disadvantage of having a cover linebacker and i please in 2022 let's the whole league stop calling it the sam linebacker because patrick levels is like 5'9 185 195 whatever he's a defensive back they work with defensive backs in practice the dime back uh, and you can make that a, a linebacker in this game uh i wonder if 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 that's going to be the way that's one thing honestly i'll watch for as much as i can watch this game in advance of my game uh, yeah, because something's got to something's got to slow down Standback. Because if he's getting two and a half and three yards before contact, just he's just going to steamroll some poor defensive backs. So, hey, you're an all star. Cool. Here's the bottom of my shoe as I leave you behind. Uh, yeah, it's so true. By the way, Patrick Levels in his own mind is six five two forty. So I mean, don't. Oh, despair. absolutely. Uh, but I However, would also, 
Uh, yeah, I, I would also, you know, I, just in terms of like, you know, spitballing interesting concepts that might make sense against Stanback. And again, this is all the evolution of if Gino Lewis is not in or whatever. I wonder whether or not Hamilton would say, you know what, Tunde Adelike is a pretty good coverage guy. He can be down and play that Sam linebacker spot. Cameron Kelly was a free safety by trade, but he's been playing Sam. I wonder whether or not you would almost like flip them, but not for the purpose of having Cameron Kelly just play free safety. Having him hmm. be the hybrid that's low and he's the one who's basically seeing through the traffic because he's trained his eyes over time to do that previously playing that position in university. I wonder whether or not they'd put him there and say, listen, D-line's going to eat some blocks. Simone and uh, in your middle linebacker in uh, Santos Knox are going to make some plays up front. And Cam, your job is to clean up. Like, and again, it's just a, it's an evolution. It's an idea that I wonder in game if we'll see some of these things change on the fly based on who's having success. Um, yeah. One thing that I do want to ask you about is what do you think we get from Brandon Banks in this game? Like, it's been such a mystery to me throughout the season. Man. And it's not because he hasn't been trying. It's just it hasn't felt it felt so easy in 2019. Always open, yeah. always separating, always yards after the catch. And this year it's felt like, wow, okay, he, you know, they run that, that scissors kind of concept where they run somebody skinny to the post, hold the free safety, and then Banks runs that kind of corner route underneath it. That's the best play that they run, I think, throwing down the field. But outside of that, the in-breaking stuff has been tough this year, and he has not been nearly as productive as we have expected based on the season that he had. Uh, and I don't know what the yeah. reasoning is for that, but I, in, in big moments... Brandon has a tendency to either get real frustrated or be really successful. And I don't know what we're going to get in this one. <laughs> Honestly. And that's, that's a real big question. And if, if it's Braylon Addison in there as well, and you can bump banks out to that two spot to the field, uh, how much better is, is that for him? I know True. they would bring it, they'll bring in Tim white, Pappy white, whoever, and do some of that run stuff instead of using banks for that running stuff. At least they did that against Saskatchewan this past week. And those guys seem to pretty consistently get some runs. That's the, that's been the million dollar question this whole season, right? Is what is what is happening to Brandon Banks? Uh, five for eighty two against Toronto on nine targets, nice six for seventy five at a score. The previous game against Montreal, targets that were you know in some well, and getting a lot of targets outside too in the last yeah. few weeks as well. Just as I look at the distribution of them. I wish I had any idea because I can't explain anything about what Brandon Banks' season has been apart from early on. Hey, you're you're our short area guy. Let's go. Let's you're six yards downfield. You're four yards behind the line of scrimmage. Blah blah blah. Instead of being the absolute game breaking, I can't believe a guy this small can get can win these jump ball situations and tight coverage situations forty yards downfield so well in 2019. I, I, I don't know if I can count on it, but I won't be surprised if it does happen. I just honestly, Marsh, I have no idea what to make of Banks at all in this game. Yeah, it, it's tough. And again, for people that are playing fantasy or doing props and all the rest, like have you in your prop masters work with TSN come across receiver numbers at all? Like how are you guys looking at the the props on this stuff? That's a good question. They, they're usually a little later toward the end of the week, but there's one site, bless their hearts, that does pop them up pretty quick. Let me see <laughs> if I can uh, pull up because there's so much more information that's still to come, right? With right. Montreal, if Gino Lewis isn't out, that has, if Gino Lewis is out, that has massive I effects what that across would do the board. To, 
I wonder what that would do to Winicky in terms of total catches if Geno Lewis is out. Because then, I mean, the, the thing that I don't think people realize or care about enough is, yes, Geno Lewis has nine touchdowns on the year. And yes, he's made some great catches, but the workload, like the sheer number, yeah. every, every week when I've been breaking down the percentage of team pass targets in the middle of the field, in second and seven plus, in score zone, he leads Montreal in everything. Like he is there, everything in the passing game runs through him. And if he's not yeah. in, it's like, where are all of those targets going to go? And there's a chance that they might just go to stand back. Like they might just take those and say, well, Ooh. like I wonder, I, I genuinely Thanks. wonder. And it's not that I don't think they, they don't trust Quan Bray or Reggie White Jr. or Winicky. It's that I'm starting to think to myself, do they want to take the 10 targets that they were going to give to Gino and sprinkle two more to everybody else? Maybe. But your best chance might be to say to Stanback, hey, wear everybody down until the fourth quarter by let's give you six, seven, eight extra carries and see whether or not you can just pop a couple. Uh, I was thinking you were saying throw the ball to Stanback. I was concerned on that front. Okay, yeah, I was. uh, We're on the same page then. Um, Last week, what, five targets for uh, Reggie White? Oh, Quan Bray's been been stepping up, even though he is that field-wide receiver spot. Uh, To your question, Banks currently four catches, for 51 and a half yards are his over under totals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Gino, they have, they have it five and 55 and a half. So uh, as far as prop bets go, if Gino can't play, I, I start to look at the Reggie White over three and a half and only 35 and a half yards because that guy's that guy's had some pop in games this season and he plays to that boundary side, right? Which, all right, there even if you're maybe your prime target isn't at that boundary wide receiver spot, the boundary side is still the short side of the field and you're going to go there. Winicky four catches in 58 and a half yards. Uh, I really, I'm just going to put a circle around that four because that's, if Winicky only has four catches, if Winicky has less than four catches, it's gone bad for Montreal in my yeah. mind. The the sneaky one I think here is Reggie White Jr. Like you're talking about for Montreal because they're completing 75% of their passes to him so far since he's been in the lineup. He's 18 of 24 on targets for 177 yards. So not big yardage. But he's got two touchdowns, mm. and there hasn't been an interception when he's been targeted thus far. So Trevor Harris is figuring out the Montreal receiving lineup, getting comfortable with them. But as he's doing so, he's adapted to this receiver and Reggie White Jr. pretty quickly, pretty seamlessly. And I think that – I don't think he's going to have a big day, you know, six, seven, eight catches. But I also saw Brian Timms for the Tiger Cats come out of nowhere playing X in a playoff game back in, I don't know, 2016, 2017, where he had this crazy day of eight, nine catches for 100 and some odd yards. So – if you have chemistry with a quarterback, all bets are off when you get into a playoff game because if they're looking for somebody they trust, then Reggie White might be the guy to take a bunch of those targets away from Gino if you can't go. Yeah, at Tim's two times on Twitter, and I have no idea why I know Brian <laughs> Tim's Twitter handle, but it just it's a good one, so I, I remember it. I, he won me a couple weeks in fantasy as well back in the day, so uh, uh, Brian Tim's wherever you are, thank you, man. I appreciate you. Where yeah, is, all from that. I Brian mean, Tim's? Does anybody know where Brian Tim's is? Hit, hit us up at Twitter at TSN underscore Martian at DT on SC. If you can identify the whereabouts of Brian Pimp, I feel like the uh, unsolved mysteries guy from NBC back in the day. <laughs> He's like currently a free agent, according to Wikipedia. Played for the Salt Lake Stallions and was on the roster of the Orlando Apollos uh, of the AF. Yes, uh, the football AF. Uh, they are undefeated <laughs> in perpetuity forever and ever and ever. Steve Spurrier and them boys. Uh, AAF champions. Congratulations to all of them. The old ball coach. All right. Who's winning the game, Marsh? Who's winning the game? Uh, you know what? Let's let's bring in the prop master side of this and talk about it for me. Uh, the current line, as we are recording this, 
Hamilton minus four. I know exactly where I have gone on this and will go on this again. Uh, Hamilton minus four. One who's winning, who's taking the spread? I think Hamilton wins by more than four. Uh, I think that Hamilton wins by more than four. And I, I think that the reasoning for this is that there's a lot of X's and O's stuff that we can go to, but I tend to, even though all the analysis is X and O's, I tend to go to the, the human side a little bit in the final analysis. And Jeremiah, I don't think expects to be in Hamilton in 2023. I'm not saying that with knowledge or interviewing people or otherwise, but the, the next home gray cup for Hamilton's 23. It's pretty miraculous that he's been around in Hamilton for as long as he has, considering he's gone like this. He's been up and down the depth chart like four different times. Can he do it a fifth time? Like, is there a guarantee he'll be here in 23? There's no guarantee. Yeah. So I just, I think he needs to seize the moment. It's not the ideal situation. He'd like Addison in rhythm with him. He'd like Banks being crazy productive. He'd like a, a healthier, more consistent offensive line. But I think their defense will do the job against William Stanback. I think they know they have to. I think Mark Washington will come up with a scheme. And then Jeremiah's just got to do what Dane did in that 2019 Eastern final, which is make a couple of plays, like take a couple of those swings. And if he does that, hits Ackland on one, hits Dunbar on one, whatever it might be, he can ring up 25 points quicker than I think we remember because it's been a while since we've seen him really just kind of blow the doors off somebody. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I just think Hamilton mm-hmm. wins by somewhere between four to 10 points. So I would say that I would take Hamilton on both of those. I, I would as well. I'm just looking at Masoli's numbers since he returned and bear with me on the quick math, 61, 85, 111, 151, 173 passes. Yeah. Uh, only, I mean, that's only four of those have been interceptable uh, it, by my count since he's returned from injury. Only two actual interceptions and a couple others that probably should have been picked. He's, Masoli's been so good. And uh, beginning of the season, I thought he should be the quarterback because he adds the run element while having the same turnover proneness that Dane Evans does. Masoli's been, uh, full props to Jeremiah for what he's been since he came back from his his injury timeout because yeah, uh, an interceptable pass rate of about two percent, two and a half percent is really, really tight. Actually, even less than that. That's really tidy. So uh, props to him for for what he's done so far. It's so interesting to me though that there's a narrative that exists on social media, and there's a narrative that exists in the confines of Hamilton, Ontario, and the surrounding areas. That oh, man, Jeremiah, just drives me crazy. Therefore, I want to see Dane. I mean, Dane came in when Jeremiah got his nose dinged in the Ottawa game. And the, the crowd started cheering. You could hear it. Like, you could hear it in the yeah. television with the cheers. And Dane is like, hey, shut the hell up. He's injured. Like, stop cheering. I'm coming into spot duty here. I'm not coming in to take his job. Like, relax. Um, and Dane has a lot of respect for Jeremiah and vice versa. But, yeah, it's that narrative is certainly out there. And, and I mean, when you actually break down and look at where Jeremiah has been the last little while, to your point, he's, he's playing better football. But all it took, mm-hmm. I think this speaks to a larger issue with maybe – the way that we view Hamilton football in the town where I live and the way we look at quarterbacks in the CFL, Jeremiah had three really great games, albeit against Edmonton, Ottawa, BC, weeks 12, 13, 14. He played really efficiently. They had the running game going. Week 15, it's a big moment. He is incomplete on a bunch of deep passes. And the second he shows any weakness whatsoever, everybody who's anti-Jeremiah in this town goes, see, I was right. It's like, oh, so you're just going to dismiss the previous three games because this is the one that you were watching? I think you have to let the guy play through some struggles in this game. I hope that if he does struggle out of the gate, they give him until at least halftime to sort through things because I just yeah. don't think like the, the amount of, of leash that they give him in this game is an intriguing one to me because if you pull him, 
you're not doing the Michael Scott snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. If you pull him, you're you're going to Dane for the rest. And Dane's your quarterback for the playoffs at that point, unless Dane really falters. Yeah. And I don't expect that. But I just I, I think when you make a decision, it's got to be final for Alonzo Steinauer in this spot with him. Yeah. And and you can you can to some degree diminish the Ottawa Edmonton BC thing. Those are three teams that didn't make the playoffs. Uh second game was comeback. He lit up Toronto. Yep. He absolutely lit up Toronto. So that he got beat by Toronto a little later on. It didn't look great. You know what? He did he did the opposite. So that there's a cat who can and oh by the way, it was uh oh no, it was in Hamilton. But uh he can he he did good things against Toronto in that game, 24 33 for 362 and two without a pass that should have been intercepted. So yes. They need to ride and die with Masoli and get this Dane Evans out of their head until next season. Like Masoli's the guy who's who's there, barring injury for the rest of the year, in my mind. Well said, as always. DT will be watching the game from out west, getting set to call the Western Final. I'll be lingering somewhere in the stands, uh, doing God knows what, watching, uh, taking notes, uh, maybe being like Belichick's little... Uh people taking video camera in the upper deck trying to make sure I can, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm just going to be enjoying the game and then breaking it down for you on CFL.ca. That is it for our Eastern semifinal breakdown here on CFP. Uh, stay tuned because we're going to have the Western semifinal podcast coming out for you tomorrow. That is going up tomorrow for you. It will be on Saturday and uh, we'll bring that to you coming up. Uh, DT, thanks for this one and uh, we'll chat with you tomorrow. Sounds good, buddy.